Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Talk Surgery podcast for the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. I am one of your regular hosts, Ceci Hotonu, paediatric surgeon, registrar in Scotland, currently boiling in West Calder in 28 degree heat. Um, Today we've got another fantastic installment of our vascular series and we are kind of touching on issues that are pertinent to every specialty issues of workforce and we've managed to get another clot of vascular surgeons I think that's the collective term we agreed on can't remember or an artery clamp I think a clot yeah sounds good yeah Um, that's appropriate yes we we do we've got another clot of vascular surgeons um, joining us and of course sitting in the host seat with me is once again the amazing Paddy Coughlin how are you today I'm all right. I'm, yeah, it's hot down here in Cambridge as well. So, uh, but I'm very good. Yeah, very good. Excellent. <laughs> looking um, forward to looking forward to the next uh, to this po- po- podcast. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. It, it should be an exciting one. So, we've got um, three people on our panel today. We've got Kieran McDonald, who is a vascular consultant in Ireland, and who is wearing a top that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast. A very bright red shirt. I've got, right. If I'd known you were going to do that, I've got plenty more stuff that I could have worn. But do you? you tell me? Okay. Well, no, we didn't. We like to keep you on your toes. But how are you today? I'm hot, the same as everybody else. <laughs> I think that's the theme of, of this general week. It's just getting hotter and hotter. And I feel ashamed for complaining about the heat because I am from sub-Saharan Africa. But never mind. Moving swiftly on, we've got the fantastic Hannah Travers, uh, who is president of the Rulo Club a vascular registrar, a mummy, all around amazing woman. How are you, Hannah? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, it's hot here too. Well, hopefully it will get a bit cooler in time. And last but not least, we've got another vascular trainee. We've got Mimi Lee joining us today. I believe she's also on the committee of the Rulo Club. How are you today? And actually, a question I've been meaning to ask, what is a Rulo? So how are you and what is a Rulo? Well, I am melting as well but very well. So a rouleau is an aggregation of red blood cells. Oh my goodness. I feel so inspired and so validated. So calling you guys a clot of vascular surgeons is so appropriate. I'm so happy. It's a a posh way of saying a clot. Absolutely. So many levels. It's appropriate. Doesn't sound so good. No, it doesn't. I mean, I'm thinking from the you know spelling. Rulo must be French or French origin. Everything sounds better in French. I think. Yeah. We'll we'll just leave it to our listeners to decide for themselves. So, um, what we like to do first of all, and before we delve into the so-called meat of the podcast, is get to know a bit about the individuals behind the message. So, I'm going to come to each of you in turn to just tell me briefly who you are. Why vascular, I guess, and um, maybe a bit of chit chat about your personal lives. We'll see how deep we delve. I'm going to come to you, Kieran, first. Um, who is Kieran McDonnell and why is he wearing a red top? What does that mean? Uh, OK, well, I'm a consultant vascular surgeon in Dublin. Uh, I've been a member of the Vascular Society Council since 2018. Uh, and uh, I'm the incoming chair of the Workforce Committee. The Workforce Committee of the Vascular Society was established by Chris Imray, one of our former presidents, who uh, is off presumably climbing a mountain somewhere for this month, so I'm, I'm standing in for him. Why I'm wearing a red top is because the British Lions rugby team are on tour in South Africa at the moment, and mm. because it's the only clean thing I could find. 
Oh, I love your honesty, but rugby, oh gosh, I'm kind of sad that one of my regular co-hosts, um, Greg, isn't here today because he is a huge sports fan. Um, explain to those listeners who are, like myself, um, completely clueless about sports, what on earth are they doing when they all huddle together and then just lift someone in the air? Well, I mean, what is that about? Is, is, is that a thing? There's two types of... I'm going to have to keep this brief. There's two types of of, of rugby player. There's the forwards who are the okay. big guys and the slow guys. And then okay. there's the backs who are usually sleek and fast. I was a back. Uh, I have no idea what forwards do. They, 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 they huddle together. They do stuff that I, I just don't, I've never understood. I've never, I don't want to know. Okay. They, they just, they, 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 yeah, I don't want to know. Okay. Well, I, might, I might have to pull you up, Kieran. There's also a different type of rugby as well. For me being the, from the from the north of England, what one might also touch upon the uh, the separate code. But uh, you know, we won't do that. League, but we've we get on well, Paddy. We won't do that. <laughs> oh, God, I was about to say we're going into dangerous territory, and it makes me feel um, a lot better knowing that even people who play rugby don't completely understand what the other people are doing. So, um, oh God, if you understood it, you wouldn't play it. Oh right, there you go. Oh, perfect. Absolute perfection. Um, coming to you next, Hannah. Who is Hannah Travers? Um, what is it like being a mum and a vascular trainee? And there's a lot of decoration in your background. So for those of us, those people listening today, um, Hannah is currently sitting in one of the most elaborate rooms I've ever seen in my entire life. So who are you? What is it like training as a mum? And why are you in such an elaborate room? So um, I'm Hannah Travis, as you said, I'm the president of the Rulu Club. Um, I'm an ST6 vascular trainee in the West Midlands. I have done most of my training as a less than full time trainee. Uh, started at 60 percent because I have three children who you might be able to hear in the background apologies if you can there um, so I've got Izzy who's seven, Ella who's five and Henry who is almost three and life as a surgical trainee and a mum is busy you have to be organised and there are lots of plates spinning in the air um, which have to keep split spinning but haven't managed to drop many so far <laughs> so uh, we're, we're surviving and the elaborate room well if you've been on any of the Aspire Junior series which I'm sure we'll talk about later um, you'll have seen it before but basically this used to be the nursery hence the decorations it's now returned to being the study and the spare room so yeah that's that's the, the background they're decals so they don't stick to the wall and you can move them if you want to oh i see i mean i was half expecting you to say oh with the pandemic and with everyone doing remote working and video conferencing i decided to kit out one room specifically as a conversation piece but I think the nursery is a much more sensible explanation. I don't know where my mind is going. Anyway, moving very swiftly on. Um, last but not least, we've got Mimi. Who is Mimi? What was your journey to vascular? And are we loving the heat or are we hating the heat? So I'll start with the, the question about me. So um, I'm an ST2 trainee in vascular surgery. So I'm doing what we call the IST pilot, which is the pilot run through program, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah. Um, currently in the east of England so I'm in Essex at the moment and it is boiling probably the only place that I know that has aircon is theatres so I've been hanging out there a lot at the moment oh gosh I love it I thought I was the only one that was sort of taking these opportunities I spent like 30 minutes in the shop this morning because I was just so hot okay so nice little yeah. introduction to all of yourselves getting very 
interesting and looking forward to hearing more about you. Last questions, quick fire before I hand over to Paddy. I'm going to start with you, Hannah. What's your favourite surgical instrument? That's a tricky one. <laughs> Probably a zerny. It's very flexible. You can do lots of different things with it. Useful for lots of reasons. Fails you out of trouble at times. Okay. <laughs> and moving on to you, Kieran. If you could absolutely fangirl any surgeon living, or well, not fangirl, fanboy, any surgeon living or alive, who would it be? So if you could pick one to meet, who is your surgical hero? Oh, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give the Irish answer and give you two answers to one question. Okay. My my my, the, my surgical hero for uh, was actually someone I met and worked with was Michael Lawrence Brown, um, who I trained with in in Perth and Western Australia. If I had uh, the opportunity to meet anybody, it would probably be Michael DeBakey, who was um, a real pioneer of cardiovascular surgery and and whose name you'll hear in an operating theatre regularly. The story I always tell about Mike Lawrence Brown when I if you don't. The non-vascular trainees who may not know him, Mike had designed the what is now the Cook uh, endovascular graft. Uh, and the very first day I worked with him, something happened intraoperatively, and he turned to me and he said, "He said, what do you think we should do?" Uh, and and I, I genuinely physically turned around to see who was the person standing behind me that he was directing the question to, because he couldn't possibly be directing it to, to this idiot. And to my horror, I realized there was nobody standing behind me who was asking me. But I figured out as I worked with him, he asks everybody every day, what do you think I should do? And he gets a thousand pieces of information, 999 of which are rubbish, but there's one gold nugget. And that's why he has a very large boat, because he, he respected the people he worked with and he, he learned from the people he worked with. And he was the most unassuming, unarrogant man I've ever met. He was a real inspirational figure. So... Yeah, you, you get more more of an answer than you ever bargained for with me, Paddy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's fine. I'm Nigerian. We, we just can't stop talking, as you will um, be rapidly realising. But two very inspiring stories. Um, the DeBakey forceps is my absolute favourite. So um, kudos to Mr. DeBakey. And um, again, humility and practice is something that is so important. I think you can never be too senior to make a mistake. And having that humility to ask questions and to accept the answers even if most of the time it's a bit of rubbish that golden nugget is what you're looking for and you'll miss out if you don't ask and finally Mimi we've talked a lot about favorite vein in the body for vascular surgeons and everyone's going to say the long saphenous so let's ask something different what is your favorite artery in the human body favorite artery yeah well it's got to be the aorta Oh, well, there you go. Like the mother of all arteries. It is. Brilliant. So they were fantastic questions, actually. So I would go the Leahy. Okay. Um, I, I'll, and I would go for the Profunda Femoris Artery. Gets, gets, yeah, it gets people out of trouble. You wouldn't okay. be losing a lot more legs if it wasn't for the Profunda, and it's not something that's taught about in anatomy at medical school. So No, it's not. I, I'm just in my mind now trying to picture exactly where it is. I think I've just got it. Yep. Uh, and it's interesting. I didn't know you. You're in Perth, Kirk, and I, I did a year in Perth as well, down at Frio. And and to sort of link everything up, um, I left Manchester, flew out of Manchester one, with 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 family in tow to my year fellowship on about the third of January, and it was snowing. And I landed in Perth Airport, and it was forty degrees, and it was <laughs> like the most bizarre sort of 
um, leaving the you know the snow to end up in 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 in, in the heat of Perth, and um, where I in part worked at Freo, and there was a guy called Brendan Stanley who was doing quite a lot of fenestrators. Yeah. Stuff there. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you know Brett Brendan, but mm. um, within we were doing one case one day, and within the room was Michael Lawrence Brown and David Hartley, and Crassie was in the room watching him, and I've never seen Brendan so nervous in all the time trying to get him making sure this fenestrator was 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 uh, was was done right. So uh, I had a ball in Perth; it was an absolutely fantastic place to be. I've got used to the heat a lot better since I've had my year there. But about, uh, about but but um, so we, we're going to focus a bit here on on workforce. It, it is topical, I think, not not only in vascular, but it's topical, I think, across uh, surgical specialties in general. Uh, I think the first thing to do is congratulate you on your uh, a, a, a appointment. Um, Thank you. And I just wanted to focus initially as what where you saw the challenges for us with regard to workforce at, at the minute? If, if you had to sort of list, you know, a list of three or four sort of specific challenges, what, what would they, what do you think they are for this, for the specialty? I think the, the workforce committee has sort of grown out of the realisation that we can't continue to work in the traditional way we, we did work, where someone was appointed to a consultant's post and did a full working week uh, and we, we've all established that, you know, vascular disease is getting more common, workload is getting greater, we need more manpower. And the, uh, to me, the real challenge is going to be adapting people's work, um, work-life balance, the whole job description, the way that the service is delivered to accommodate people who can't give the 40-hour week because they have young children because of or because they you know they have their single parent or it's the realization that those people have got value and can contribute but just not to the same extent as before and how do we change the way we deliver our service such that the the hours that are delivered during the week by a consultant vascular surgeon is not necessarily going to be delivered by the one person and, you know, we, we've spoken at the committee about the concept of job sharing. You know, we, we've, uh, Hannah will probably be able to talk more about the non-full-term uh, non training that she did. Or, sorry, I'm using the wrong term, but you, you understand what I mean. And it, it's changing our perceptions of the traditional model of a consultant vascular surgeon and how they work to a, a very different picture of of how the service is delivered and in particular we're trying to change a group of people who by their very nature tend to be conservative and you know everyone thinks the system they've come through and they've worked through is the perfect system because it's produced them but if we want to expand the workforce which we do we're going to have to be imaginative about it and I think convincing dinosaurs like me that different ways of working and different work patterns are equally as effective as the traditional model that I've come to to accept, where you're, you're a full time, full on consultant vascular surgeon with nothing else going on in your life. Uh, that to me is is the principal challenge, and how we adapt. Our, I mean, we, we I mean, Patty, you know from being on council, we we get job descriptions all the time to look at from different trusts as to how a new consultant vascular surgeon's job description, is, you know, plays out and. 
you know, how do you change that such that it may now be delivered by two or three, the same job may be done by two or three people? Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a real challenge, isn't it? From the point of view of appointments, you know, uh, of developing that hours of the work divided by the people who are, you know, an appropriate number of people to deliver the care, but it doesn't have to be everybody doing the same, mm-hmm. does it? So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, having, it's building in that flexibility, isn't it, to both appointments and... and managing and accepting that a, 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 a diverse consultant body is probably the best type of you don't want 10 consultants exactly the same because that's going to cause problems <laughs> you want you know we you want a very diverse sort of consultant team don't 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 you really um, yeah i think and it's that sort of development i think it i think we started to get a little bit better um i think there's a, a way to a way to go what what's What's the, I mean, how do we stand in a minute with, I think maybe I'm biased, but vascular does appear to be sort of ahead of the game a little bit in in data collection and understanding where the problems are. Maybe that's because it's easier for us to do as a slightly smaller specialty, but, but roughly where are we with regard to our workforce at the minute? What, what are the specific challenges that we're maybe going to see in the next five to 10 years? Do you think? I worry about burnout and, and the, most recent workforce survey that we did, Dennis Harkin, who was responsible for it, brought in a whole kind of well-being aspect to this. Uh, and there was quite a significant number of people reported signs of burnout. And I think you're going to see an increasing number of people getting out of mainstream service delivery and going off and doing something else. They'll go off and do something administrative. They'll go off and teach. They'll go off and do research. They'll retire early. And I think we're going to lose that expertise out of the workforce if we're not careful and we don't look after those people and in particular i think that burnout is, is a real issue yeah and i think we've, we're starting to see a little bit of that senior workforce leaving already aren't we and they're 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 indispensable people from training and, and i think my thing is that we have to adapt and be able to use them in a better way um yeah and if that means offering them a different type of role but keeping their surgical and clinical experience there then I think that's important. I, I wonder whether it seems that the, the role of a consultant has probably changed over the last 20 years. If I think of maybe when, when I was training, we, I don't know. But it, 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 there's a perception that the, the, the consultant is very much on the shop floor a lot more perhaps than they used to be, which is the right thing to do. But with it, it comes with, uh, maybe a lot more, not strict, but but a, a lot more mental energy and a lot more physical energy to be able to deliver that, which is as you get older becomes quite a little bit more cha- challenging. I mean, I was up all night on Monday night, and um, you know, I'm s- still I need a bit more kip. Should I say the, the nightclubs are open again, Paddy? Are they? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you could. Yeah, yes, it was. It was. Uh, it was that sort of related stuff. Yes, on 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 Monday night. But um, but you you understand what I mean? Is that, that I think. The, the role of a consultant has changed compared to perhaps two, three decades ago. Um, yeah, and there has been this suggestion that as you get older, and I'm becoming more a fan of this as more grey hair appears above the red T-shirt, that you know, there is a case to be made for the older consultant not being on an on-call rotor anymore, and that when you hit a certain age, you don't participate in an on-call rotor. Uh, and I mean, I just uh, totally anecdotally, I find now if I have to get up more than yourself if i'm up all night doing something now 
I'm I'm I have the hang the call hangover for 24 48 hours mm-hmm. whereas as a younger consultant it, you kind of brush it off and mm-hmm. douse it in a bit of machismo and everything's fine mm-hmm. um but there is that case to be made that at the moment I, and I, I speak to a certain level of ignorance about what goes on in the UK but certainly in Ireland if you were contracted as a consultant surgeon you deliver the service the same server you expect to deliver the same service at 64 as you are at 38 Mm. Uh, and there, there is no mechanism or no allowance for, you know, aging or the fact or ill health or anything like that. So, mm. I think again that's something that we are going to be forced to address. Yeah. And what I, I to come back to your earlier point about vascular surgery being ahead of the game, I think if we don't address it, it's going to be addressed for us. Because uh, I think that's I not think, always necessarily the the right solution. Yeah, I think there is a shortfall. We have got a significant shortfall of consultants, haven't we? And I think one of the and Hannah, well, I'm come to Hannah in in a minute, but certainly one of the issues we've had on on the SAC is is that a lot of vascular jobs are still labelled as general surgery jobs. So it's very difficult to actually at a at a national at a uh, NHS level to unpick quite what is happening in vascular surgery because I think we are such a a new specialty, as it were, or sub subspecialty. So. I think there are a lot of challenges challenges there. Hannah, welcome. You're I know that you are very modest, but I will blow your trumpet for you in, in as much as that you've you spent a lot before you became chair of the sorry, president of the RULO. Um you're on the SAC, weren't you, as the RULO rep. So so you've had a lot of experience around education, training, workforce and that sort of thing. So what yeah. what from a trainee's perspective, what 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 do you see as the challenges from a workforce point of view? I think there's there's several issues at several levels. I think the primarily is that medical students nowadays don't get the same exposure to vascular surgery that certainly I did when I um, when I was a medical student. And so I think people are don't really know what vascular surgery is, don't know what we do, don't know what the life is like, don't know what the patients or the pathologies or the operations are like. So I think medical school exposure is the first issue with the workforce, because if you don't ignite a spark early on, you're not going to convert people to the specialty. Um, I think that the loss of the firm structure for foundation doctors has had a massive impact. Certainly for myself, I was on a fantastic firm as an F1. We were three F1s for um, five consultants in vascular surgery, and we had an absolute ball. And that's where my fire was lit and it was vascular you know it was always for me from that point onwards and I think that nowadays with the training and the contract there the rotors they get moved around so often that they there's a loss of belonging and they they just feel like they're providing a service rather than actually being involved in the in the firm structure maybe that's a reflection of of where I work but talking to students from around the country and trainees around the country I, I think it's it's a national problem with the work with the way that the foundation years are now structured and then in in core training again if you don't get the the exposure so and then at registrar level I think the flexibility and the the not so much the hours but the flexibility and knowing where you're going to work and you know for me I've been less than full-time since eight months into my ST3 job I found out I was pregnant quite early on and and I chose to work less than full time, partly because I wanted to see my children and partly because I the physical demands of having young children and being a vascular registrar, I didn't think that I would be safe to do my job in a full time manner unless I had a live in nanny 
do everything else for me with regards to the children. So I think there's there's challenges at all levels with regards to workforce and recruitment. And certainly we've tried through Rulu Club to in, inspire the next generation by setting things up specifically for medical students. To We run an essay competition. We run uh so, so you want to be a vascular surgical, surgeon training days um, where they can come and get hands on experience. And we try and have links with all the medical schools and put ourselves out there to to increase the exposure of vascular surgery. But I think that's, you know, it's that's the root cause of the workforce issue. If you don't have anybody coming in from the bottom, you're never going to meet the demand at the top. Mimi, you're uh, started on the path, haven't you? You're a, you're an IST trainee, so you're um, on the pilot scheme for for IST. So you obviously made that decision very early that vascular surgery was was for you. So how 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 did that happen? How how did you sort of end? Because I I was the same. I sort of I I knew I probably wanted to do vascular surgery when I was a student. Um, but how how did you end up on the path that uh, that you're on at the minute? Um, so actually, yeah, I did. I went, knew I wanted to do vascular when I was a student as well. But I think it was, it was, I would say, serendipitous, like probably a lot of vascular trainees. So initially, I thought I wanted to do colorectal, and then I uh, did an integrated BSc, did a vascular project, um, and ended up really loving it, and kind of just went from there. Um, I think that I would agree with what Hannah said. A lot of it is about what you get exposed to at a medical school, like what kind of role models you have. If you if you don't even have um, a proper vascular rotation, you're never really going to consider it as a career. There's other um, there's other specialties like what well, I won't mention them, but there's other specialties which seem kind of sexier, and you probably don't need to have had exposure to to want to do it. But I don't think vascular is one of those. Do, do we think that centralisation? Well, it's had, it's had sort of a vascular service is into larger hospitals. Do you think that's had a negative effect upon our ability to recruit people because it it, it has limited the different hospitals where trainees go, where students go, where perhaps they can get a feel of the specialty? Because as it stands at the minute, vascular surgery is very much within the teaching hospitals by and large, isn't it? But we know that medical students get sent all over, don't they, to do surgical placements. So when I was a student, I got sent to a, a DGH and they did vascular there. So I got a bit more exposure to vascular. Do, do, do you think that might have had a negative effect? Possibly. I think probably if you, as a medical student, get sent to a DGH, you're going to get a bit more stuck in, a bit more hands-on experience and probably come out of it one, more likely wanting to do surgery. Because you're, you're, you're less likely, in my experience as a DGH, you're less likely to get pushed out of the way. You don't need a sharper elbows. You, you sort of, there's a bit more sort of one-to-one sort of nurturing as it was there. Um, Kieran, Hannah, any thoughts? I was, I was just going to say, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's so much the, the fact that the, the procedures are being performed in one centre, but it's the concentration of work creates a pressure in that centre that, I suppose in, in, in some way it, it feeds into what you're saying about, you know, people aren't elbowing you out of the way in, in the DGH. But if you've got if you've got a centralized unit, they have far more pressure on getting through their workload 
And you'll often hear the stories about people literally having having a, a barney about who gets the ICU bed today because there's there's more cases going through than there is resources to fix it. And then that's when the juniors, that's when the trainees don't get a look in. And I often say to my own trainees that the biggest obstacle to me training them or standing across the table and taking them through a procedure is that is time because it's going to take me longer to do that than if I do it myself. And I'm going to end up having to cancel a case at the end of my list because uh, I've taken too long to do the earlier case because I've let them do it. So it, that's where I think centralization has probably had a negative impact. It's not so much the the fact that the procedures aren't being done on the DGH anymore, but it's just it's just the the concentration of work now is just too great to allow that that attention to be put onto to medical students and trainees. I think go on, sorry, make me, me, me. Go on. Um, I think also that um, medical students probably don't have as many surgical rotations as they used to. There's a lot of emphasis on training people for primary care now. A lot of the newer medical schools have much more of a focus on primary care. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's certainly something we've been battling with uh, and trying to put together strategies to not just vascular surgery, but to make surgery more, give, give it more of an emphasis within and without side the curriculum as it were uh, Hannah, i don't know what your feelings are about uh, about um medical student exposure i mean it's probably not as good as it should be or could be i suspect yeah i think i think centralization probably does have an impact obviously if you're in a dgh and there's no vascular surgery there and that's where your surgical job is you're not going to get the exposure to vascular mm-hmm. surgery i mean we're always really pleased to see medical students and you know try and take them in and I don't think I don't think there's normally an issue with sharp elbows with medical students but I think there certainly is amongst trainees in in centralized hospitals you've got a lot of registrars focused in one place and as you say the time pressures the bed pressures um, if an open aneurysm comes by everybody wants wants in on it um, because they're so <laughs> few and far between mm-hmm. so I, I think centralization has had has had an impact on the workforce but from a patient safety perspective that's a much it's a much much better way forward isn't it so we need to balance the two i think we've we've focused on the challenges that 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 that, that are uh, that we're exposed to in vascular surgery from a workforce point of view but but we want this to be positive you know we we, we all love vascular surgery and we want to re- recruit the next generation this is going out to sort of all trainees and stuff so let's let's start at the at the grassroots let's start with medical students what are the solutions how are we going to get our medical students into vascular surgery and then as as an undergraduate and then get them on this you know get them rolling what 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 are the strategies perhaps that we should be we should be looking at I think like we've said before a big thing is exposure and the question is how do we get the exposure if they're not getting it from their medical school curriculum so probably a lot of it will be things that maybe the ruler club or their local surgical societies will need to do to promote vascular surgery as a specialty so I think there's a big perception that like vascular surgery is just diabetic feet it's just smelly feet and wounds which is not true um, but if you don't know much about the specialty that's that's going to put you off straight away probably so maybe things like showing that uh, like alternative pathways into vascular surgery that you don't have to be you know the stereotype surgeon to become one um and maybe showing the human aspect and that we are 
quite a diverse bunch of people and that you don't have to be a certain type of person to become a vascular surgeon. So I think our workforce has changed, hasn't it, over the last decade? You know, the makeup of the consultant body has changed. I think there is progress. And I think if you look at, I mean, I run a few Aspire programs, so I see all the trainees come through and, and, and believe you me, they are a diverse group. <laughs> I mean, spoken to, which is brilliant. You know, it's when, when they certainly come down to Aspiring four, four and six courses when we've been r- 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 running them. They're a really diverse group. They are not a stereotypical group, I think, anymore. On the whole, yes, you will get some uh, people who sort of fit that stereotypical mould, but on the whole, they're a very di- di- diverse group, I think. Certainly when I was just looking back through the various workforce surveys that, that have been done, I think the initial one, 8% of consultant vascular surgeons in the UK were female. Uh, and on the second one, it was 15%, but 33% of trainees are female. And I mean, it's not lost to me if you look at, the three trainees who are on tonight they're all female so there's certainly that progress has been made and I think it's I mean Hannah as you quite rightly said has been very modest about what the Rural Club have done and she's absolutely bang on it's going into the medical schools and and showing people that you know the 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 vascular surgeon is not the typical you know arrogant idiot male Caucasian surgeon that possibly is the stereotype that it is someone who you know is is someone like Anna who has been able to balance raising four kids no there's only three don't give me an extra one (laughs) oops sorry if if it makes you feel any better my kids have to wear t-shirts with their name on them so I know who they are but okay three but okay it's but you you know it you can do that and and still be a successful vascular surgical trainee who's president of Rulo and that's you know, people like Hannah need to be pushed out as the as the poster girl. And I, I don't mean to be in any way patronizing when I say that, but you are completely and utterly different to the stereotypical view that a lot of people would have of of, of who a consultant vascular surgeon would be. And if you, you know, all of us have had the, it's the role model experience. And, and you know, for, for me, it was, my professor surgery was someone who kind of, he was a vascular surgeon. That's how I ended up becoming one. But if you put out someone who the medical student can identify with uh, and can realize, hang on, actually, you know what? I, you know, yeah, I want to have a life and I want to have children, but I also want to be a vascular surgeon. Oh, actually I can do this. Uh, And I think that's, that's how we need to, to, to persuade people that this is a specialty that is an inclusive and not an exclusive one. And Paddy's right. I mean, the profile of, of vascular trainees has changed hugely over the last 10 years and will continue to change. And that hopefully will be reflected in the consultant workforce. I think, yeah, I agree that the workforce is changing and really we've, we've got some data that, that's coming out and will be presented at the Vascular Society to, to say that it's changing. I was in the first cohort of vascular trainees um, when it became a separate specialty and 11 of us were female um, of 20 numbers that were appointed. And obviously those numbers have dwindled and there are a variety of reasons why they've why they've dwindled. Um, talk, you know, talking about role, role models, my mum always said, never let anyone tell you that you can't. And I've sort of lived by that. And I guess I've had some negative role models in the stereotypical surgical type who have been divorced and don't see their families and and all those 
aspects and negatives of surgery and I've said I've gone no actually I am going to do this I can do it but I need to find a way that suits me um, and, and I think it's very important to accept that it doesn't matter whether it's because you want to have children or actually you could be an Olympic athlete but actually there is we don't we don't live to work we work to live and you c there is a balance out there to be to be found and it's not always a, a stereotypical balance that everything's um, equal all the time sometimes work comes first sometimes the children comes first or the sport comes first or your other business comes first but it's actually an integration of the two um, and I think that's that's the way forward is to encourage integration of being a vascular surgeon and being whatever else you want to be um, whether that's you want to semi-retire but we want to retain the surgical skills and the knowledge base but you don't want to be the acute vascular surgeon on call who's up for a trauma at three o'clock in the morning there must be a way to integrate this and we just need to be forward thinking and flexible um, and think outside the box to make it work I will become a consultant. It's taken me a lot longer than many of my colleagues, but I'll get there and I'll still have 20 plus years of consultant life ahead of me. And I would say to you, Hannah, because you, that flexibility, you had a TPD in your deanery who has probably embraced that flexibility. Is that probably fair to say? Oh, he's um, been fantastic. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm gonna, Andy Garnham has been yeah amazing and uh, I'll name drop him because he, he is the reason that I've succeeded I think in in my training program and he was very uh, accommodating and he never made me feel that it was I was an inconvenience and I know trainees who have had that and I think that's why we lose that's why the numbers aren't reflected is because having a child is seen as an inconvenience and it shouldn't be it gives you a greater depth of understanding of the world <laughs> So I think well that's right, but I, th I think it, it, it's it's incumbent upon those people in those positions to 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 um, maximise the flexibility to to allow that to happen. Yeah. And I think I think the deaneries have got better at it. I think I think that you know certainly the, the 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 deaneries are a little bit better. But you need your TPD to go and fight your corner sometimes uh, to be able to go. Yeah, that that's the right thing to do, and we we we're going to do this, and I'll go to the dean you know I'll make this happen for you yeah sort of absolutely and I think the initiatives like the supported return to training program yeah. has um I, I was involved in the design of that and I think that's made a huge difference for trainees coming back to training whether it be from maternity leave being from time out for research for time out for sick leave and there's all these things that can support people back into it because it it is quite a daunting process coming back um, and that's the way to retain our workforce we you know once people have been recruited we need to keep them and help them through whichever path they wish to take and I think that's another key aspect. I'm, I'm just going to take us a little bit back that back to medical students because I, I want to sort of show, showcase some of the work that, that you've that you've been doing. Uh, from a personal point of view I've had a number of uh, one or two medical students who've come to me with for SSC projects or six week research projects who are now on the path to become want to become vascular surgeons what one is entering into a foundation year and specifically has chosen a foundation rotation that's got vascular on it brilliant I mean there is nothing better as a trainer or you know or as a, a mentor that's happened that's you know it is it, it, it's fantastic 
so you know it is important that we do ssc projects it's important that we that we encourage that we go out to the surgical special uh, the, the surgical clubs within your own university and present vascular surgeon it's important we do these open days where you know pre-foundation where people are wondering what, what they do what 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 else is reloads on just just for, for those medical students who are listening to us maybe on their bike or doing their their run on their treadmill sell the rulo what is there that we can do for them to get them into vascular surgery so the rulo club for those that don't know it's um the trainee organization of vascular surgery but we are our own independent body we're registered as a as a charity um or a club and society sorry and we are um we're run by trainees for trainees and um to inspire the next generation so we've um particularly in the covid era era where we couldn't run our face-to-face courses that we usually run so normally at the um, vascular society asm and at charing cross we've done an introduction to vascular surgery course where medical students can come along um and they get a a few lectures about what life's like as a trainee, as a consultant, what's vascular surgery about, but then also hands-on practical skills. Um, And we have run that as an online course as well at the most recent um, ASM when that was uh, all digital. But we also decided, inspired by Paddy and the Aspire Digital course that was run by VS for trainees to give us some educational, we thought actually there's nothing out there for medical students. They're not getting their teaching on the wards. They're not getting any extra exposure to vascular surgery. So what can we do? So we set up the Aspire Junior series, which was basically going through the basics of vascular surgery with the sort of guise of what what do you need to know to survive a vascular surgery firm, be it as a medical student or a foundation doctor or, or a core trainee doing vascular surgery for the first time. And, and all those videos are available on the Rulu Club website, the Rulu's free to join, and um, so you can sign up at rulu.com and ruluclub.com. Sorry, Mimi will correct me because she's our communications officer. <laughs> and yeah, so they're available, but it's an ongoing process. We also run a SA competition um, in conjunction with the VS ASM, and that gets you free entry onto the Introduction to Vascular Surgery course. If you and there's also prizes for the best essays that will be launched in around September, October time. But also you can contact us. We've just set up something called Vascular Collaterals, which is a network of trainees and consultants that basically you can write in a request for advice about any subject, be it less than full time training or fellowships or um, exam or you know anything to do with vascular surgery um, and then we will link you with somebody who's decided to get or who's volunteered to give advice from that uh, so there are a few of our initiatives we were approached by surgical societies regularly um, and we've given talks to, to I've certainly done Birmingham one of my colleagues has spoken to Aston University so we you know anybody can contact us and we're very flexible in trying to help out in in whatever way we can Mimi what have I forgotten right you pretty much covered it all um we do have a few things in the pipeline which watch this space on our social media um to do with kind of really the human aspect of vascular surgery because a lot of the reason why people become surgeons or particularly especially is probably the role models that they've had um and I think showcasing who who we have in the specialty will actually be quite important to, to help inspire medical students who might want to be considering that career. Yeah, so watch this space. We've, we're on Instagram and Twitter. 
at Rulo Club. Kieran, I'm going to sort of bring it back to to your new role and and looking at as a specialty what what do you think the strategy what what's the strategy for the workforce committee to try and move things forward then how do you see the next few years of of, of trying to aid our workforce it's a good question because it's the the workforce committee has only been um in existence since early 2020 if you actually look at what we've achieved it hasn't been very much if i'm being really honest thus far there is a huge there's huge scope as to how we can intervene or or the areas we can focus on i personally i think the the key is getting into the medical schools and getting people into the workforce first and hannah i'm warning you i'm going to be plaguing you very soon um i think we ju- we need we just uh, personally i think we need to be more aggressive about approaching medical schools and the surgical societies and and we should be approaching them and not waiting for them to approach us the w- one thing that actually struck me i'll be making notes actually as i've been listening to people here t- tonight but one thing that struck me was was um the, the comments about surgical trainees to some extent feeling a little bit lonely that you're not as part of a, a team as you were before, because you've got shift working and you're on and you're off, you don't know your team very much. And there's that essence of belonging to a group with a common purpose, which I think has been lost now. And I think that's something that we need to address. And and if you can't do it through the standard employment model, because uh, working time directives and hours, et cetera, then we need to do it as a, a community of surgeons for our trainees and mind them and mentor them much more and i think we've got to start at the bottom i mean we you know there's there's been various issues about making sure people don't retire early helping them with their pensions helping them find a different focus for their their practice if they're getting burnt out all that would be utterly futile if we don't if we don't turn the tap on at the bottom and, and have more people coming through into vascular surgery so that's where that's where my focus would be yeah and i I, I would fully endorse that, and and uh, I, I just want to go off a little bit, not not off track really, but but there, there are. It's about the flexibility, isn't it? That there's this traditional pathway that people that that, that in the past pe- people have taken, but we do know there are a lot of people out there who are in who are in non-training grades. You know, what do you think we can do for them? What how how because they're they're very important to the workforce. Um, in lots of places, is is there something that we can do to try and um, help them? Do you think, or that is something that that has been discussed in the workforce committee? And I think it was the, I think the principal proposal was to, to I'm not sure whether they have access to a Spire Digital or if, if they didn't to to give that to them, and to make sure that they weren't disadvantaged. Uh, and again, it's it's this thing of, of actually making people, this is going to sound a little bit trite, but of making people feel loved and valued and wanted. And that, you know, we want you as part of our specialty. Um, so, I mean, the goal of any non-NTA tra- trainee is to be is to get a training number. So how can the people who, have, who are on the other side of, of the parapet help them do that? And that's something I think, again, that we're going to need to discuss. And I know Keith Jones, is, who's the, the uh, chair of the Education Committee, he certainly has pushed that issue with me. So I, yeah, I, no, I'm I think going to do that. I'm going to hear of it. 
I, I think we need to try and get them towards a CCT, don't we, in, in whichever yeah. way that we can, if that's what they want, you know, if, yeah. if that's what people want. So, so I think what we have to do is, is have a, um, a broader aspect of where people want to, people's careers, people see their careers going, as it were, isn't it? That not everybody wants to be a consultant, perhaps. Not everybody wants to be a, you know, all singing or dancing, you know, I'm going to, you know, everybody's slightly different and has different uh, considerations about where they want to be. And we have to try and facilitate that, I think. And, and I think it'd be interesting to to know that as they were, as the trainees diverse, to, to know quite what they would perceive their end game to be, that their goals, as, as, as it were, and try and facilitate that. Um, do we have anybody going down the season pathway in vascular surgery? Because that's an alternative route for non-NTM trainees to, to gain, um, to become. Yes. So as Kieran alluded to, Keith, Keith Jones has set up a, or has met a couple of times with, with such tra- trainees to try and develop them along the season pathway. And I think that is, that is something that the education committee are, are going to look at um, as to how we can facilitate people to achieve their season. One of the problems is, is there's a few members of the education committee who actually also look at the CESA application. So there's a, there's a slight there's a slight conflict in 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 that. But 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 that is very high on the high on the priority that we we do try and put something almost like an, an aspire type thing forward for 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 that um, in in a different way to help them perhaps navigate through some of the complexities of of CESA. Um, as well as also trying to provide some of the some training opportunities. I think that yeah, the non-training grade registrars or the non-NTN registrars are they're they're a very mixed entity as well. But they actually sustain our vascular mm-hmm. rotors. Like not many places have a NTNs running the one in six vascular rotor that you need to run a, a, a legal rotor. It's made up with non-training grade registrars, and I, I think there's there's they're, they are at different stages. Some are, are ones who want an NTN but haven't quite made it there yet. Others have um, come from far and wide to gain more experience, gain experience of the NHS with a view to Caesar. Um, some will return to their home countries with the knowledge that they've gained from the NHS and, and that's always been their, their aims. But I think ident- having the flexibility and identifying uh, when people are appointed to these posts, actually, where where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself in two, five, ten years' time? And then aiding them to to get to where they want to be um, is the key because some of them, if like you say, I don't think it's touchy feely. If you are loved and looked after, then people thrive. It's the same with children. It's the same with trainees. And and I think it's it's really important. Actually, I don't think it's touchy feely. And I think sometimes maybe as surgeons, we're not touchy feely enough. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's a good bit of advice to invest time and effort into the, the people who are on who do not have the NTNs who are in your units because they they are a long term investment as well. Yeah. Uh, and again, we've had one or two real successes that we've actually been able to move them onto consultant jobs. So so it, and that's really fulfilling as well that you you spend three four years with these people slowly nurturing them along and they come out the top and they end up as consultants so so i'm going to wrap it up but i've got one sort of question for you all really 
and maybe I'm going to start with Mimi, then go to Hannah, then go to Kieran uh, about this. What What do you think? How do you see the future of vascular surgery? Just very, you know, very short sort of feeling. Are you positive about it? Are you? Hmm. That's that's a very uh, could be a deep or superficial question. Yeah, just you know, an overall view. I mean, you know, that uh, you're you're obviously at the start, so I suspect you're hopefully very positive about the future. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I think there's there's a lot of increasing workload for us to do, so there's going to be. Yeah, there's a lot of work for us, so we're going to need more people in the in the workforce, like we said. Um, and I think the future is bright. I will tend to agree. The work's not going away, and there's lots of different there's lots of different aspects in vascular surgery, isn't there? If you want big trauma blood vessels, if you're interested in academia, if you're interested more interested it's a slight more of a medical slant there's loads of medical stuff in if you're interested in fine surgery there's lots of fine surgery if you're more interested in some of the endovascular stuff you can do both i i think there's a very wide um amount of you know there's there's lots to do in vascular surgery that that someone should find a, a niche a niche in i think hannah future of vascular surgery so I'm always a glass half full person, so I'm positive about it. I think I think we will see changes over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I think centralisation will happen, but then there needs to be capacity increases in those areas of centralisation. And it may be some of the less subspecialised things will go back out to more district general hospitals again. So I think I think it's changing. Um, but I'm excited for the change that's going to happen. And I, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the future. Kieran. It's only when I talk to my non-vascular surgery friends that I, I kind of get a picture of how progressive the vascular society has been in addressing in future proofing the specialty and you know when when I look at the things that have been done in terms of the, the bullying harassment survey the workforce survey um trying to encourage diversity this I mean you said at the start we're leading on this and, and, and I, I genuinely feel we are and it, it was one of the things that kind of inspired me to want to to, to look for chair of the workforce committee that I, I do feel there's that insight um to see what challenges are ahead and how we meet them and that, that the ostrich approach is not being adopted. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And certainly as, as I get on in life, I'm starting to think more in terms of being a consumer of the service than a provider of it. So, um. Brilliant. Ceci, if I'm just allowed one more question slightly to go off piece, Kieran, I need your prediction for Saturday, given that this is going to go out in August. So um, uh, oh first, Lions, first test, Saturday, Lion South Africa. What's your prediction? I think they're going to get whomped. And I think they're going to get whomped because they're not going to have any Irish people on the team because Warren Gatland. Oh, I know you're going to edit it out if I say it. So um, I, I think they're <laughs> going to lose, but lose narrowly to the Springboks. Okay. And I think okay. he's going to. I'm not finished. He's going to see the air of his ways and he's going to put 15 Irish guys in the next two tests and then we're, we're That's it. Job's done. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I guess, listeners, if you've not guessed from Kieran's accent, he is maybe just a little bit Irish, just just a little touch. <laughs> my goodness. But what a nice way to end what has been 
a fascinating insight into the shape of the vascular workforce. And I think a lot of the issues that you mentioned are not um, sort of special to um, the specialty. Um, they kind of resonate with the whole, not, not just surgery, but the whole medical workforce. At, at the moment, it is about thinking about who is providing the care in future. It's thinking about making sure that the best and the brightest are retained. And um, I agree with Hannah and Kieran and Mimi. It's not fluffy to think about um, encouraging people, nurturing people and ensuring that they feel they have a place. So thank you very much for all the work that you're doing in those fields. And um, I know I'm doing paid surgery, but I feel a little bit jealous that I'm not part of the clot. I don't know what's a collection of what's a collection of pediatric surgeons um a, a play date of pediatric surgeons I don't know anyway we'll we'll debate that, that. maybe for next time yeah maybe. For next time. <laughs> maybe but, but I, I mean I would say you know if if other specialties have got other ideas about workforce or, or want you know I th- we're a very open specialty aren't we I think you know we 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 want solutions to help our workforce um, yeah definitely so if, if other specialties have, have you know done stuff or if they want you know if they want to see what we've been doing i think we'd be happy kieran wouldn't we to sort of share ideas yeah and i mean it's been certainly my experience as someone said to me once if, if you're the smartest person in a room you're in the wrong room and it certainly has been my experience when i've, I've sat on on the committee it, it really has been inspirational to see the the input and the insight that people have and the enthusiasm that that they have for this and and that's why i feel optimistic about it because you know we've we've got people who want to find solutions and who are uh, identifying the problems before they become problems so that they never become problems. Yeah, that's fantastic. And collaboration is really a key cornerstone of medicine. We are all doing it for our patients and there will become a time, should we all live long enough, that we will be, as you said, Kieran, consumers of the service. So we have a duty to make sure that um, the best people are getting retained, that the workforce is as robust as we can possibly make it. And the health service is as friendly and as open and as welcoming as we can possibly make it so that people want to do medicine. Um, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Kieran, Hannah and Mimi for giving up your time. We're very, very grateful. Um, guys, you. the, oh yeah, absolutely welcome. Um, guys, your, um, the email address is the same as always, comes at rcsed.ac.uk. Drop us a line. Um, as Hannah says, the Rulo Club website is there. They're on Twitter. You can follow them as well. And um, it's a goodbye from me and... Any last words to say, Paddy? No, goodbye from me, and uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, guys, and until then, stay safe and be kind to each other, 